Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. Advent is a season of preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas. Most of us are familiar with that concept. We've heard it before. And it's something which we can appreciate the need for. We, we can appreciate the need for a season of preparation. Because whenever we invest something, energy, time, effort, into an activity or an endeavor or a goal or in preparation for something, we appreciate it much more when it actually shows up. You know, when you work four years to get a college degree, graduation is a big deal for you. Getting that diploma on that day is significant. But if you're some VIP individual who shows up at a university, gives a nice talk, and they give you an honorary diploma, it doesn't really mean much because you didn't do much to get it. And so too with liturgical celebrations. The more we invest in preparation for them, the more fully we can rejoice and participate in the actual celebration. So, we're encouraged to be faithful to this Advent season for the sake of celebrating Christmas. But along with being a time of preparation for Christmas, Advent is also a season where we are supposed to prepare for another coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the coming of Christ in majesty on the clouds at the end of time. And so this time of Advent is not just looking back to the time when Christ came in history, he was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but it's also a looking forward to a future coming of Christ, one that is yet to come, one that our Lord is referring to in today's Gospel. He's saying, be watchful and ready for that day. But that's not all. Because between that coming of Christ 2,000 years ago and before that coming of Christ in the future, which might be in another 2 million years or it might be in 20 minutes, between those two comings, there is a third kind of coming. Christ is also coming to us in this intermediary way. He is coming to us in mystery, spiritually, in between these two comings. And so it's not as if he jumped ship 2,000 years ago and he ascended into heaven and he'll show up again in 2 million years or in whenever, but he's continuing to come down to us. And this really shouldn't be a surprise for those of us who are perhaps familiar with some more common phrases of our Lord in Scripture. He told us, I will not leave you orphans. He told us, I will be with you until the end of the age. He told us, where two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there in their midst. So during the season, we are encouraged to be watchful, to be ready, and to prepare ourselves for all these different kinds of comings of our Lord. In history, the coming of Christ in his incarnation and birth 2,000 years ago. In mystery, the coming of Christ in the sacraments, the coming of Christ in the scriptures, the coming of Christ in our neighbor, the coming of Christ in prayer. And also the coming of Christ in the future, the coming of Christ in majesty in the future. Advent is supposed to be a time of preparation for all of those times of comings. The symbol of Advent is the lit candle, the candle of the Advent wreath, that shows that we are like the wise virgins in the gospel, 
we have our candles lit, and so when the bridegroom comes, we are prepared to meet him, and we're not caught sleeping like the foolish virgins. But we're not going to appreciate any of these comings until we realize that we need him to come, until we are aware that without him, we are in a tight spot. We are in a bind. We are in need of a savior. Because before we can get excited about something, we have to recognize that's going to help me. For example, if my house is not on fire, I don't really care if the firefighters show up. If I'm not dehydrated, you offering me a glass of water is not going to interest me that much. If I'm already a billionaire, winning the lottery isn't going to be such a big deal to me. And so too, if I don't need a savior, if I have nothing to be saved from, What difference does it make if he comes? If mankind had no sin to be taken away, the birth of the Messiah is just the birth of another teacher, another wise man, another leader. If I am already living perfectly, I'm doing fine, I have no sin, then the death of the Savior, the coming of the Savior in the sacraments, the coming of the Savior in the Eucharist and confession, that doesn't change much of anything. I'm doing fine without him. What difference does it make to me if he shows up? And if I'm angelically pure, nothing needs to change before I meet him at the second coming. Whether that second coming be at the end of time or at the end of my time on earth. But to return to the previous analogies, our house is on fire. We are dehydrated and we are radically impoverished. That secular mindset of, I'm okay, you're okay, that is in radical opposition to the Bible, to the biblical revelation. Every Advent we sing this hymn by the name of uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and in that hymn there's that one verse that goes, uh, Ransom captive Israel. We have to see ourselves as captive, in need of being ransomed. We, in a sense, have fallen into a spiritual well, and we can't get ourselves out. Remember from the Batman movie how Bruce Wayne, when he's a little boy, he falls into the well? And he can't get out until the butler shows up, um, whatever the butler's name is. He needs somebody to help him out of the well. Spiritually, that's where we're at. As soon as we fall into sin, or, you know, before our baptism, we are in the well. And there's only one person who can get us out of the well. Isaiah... He recognized the plight of all Israel 2,500 years ago when he wrote his book. And much of what he said in today's first reading about the plight of Israel applies to us here today. Like if you look at that reading and you see what he has to say about we Israelites, we the Jewish people, we the members of the covenant, a lot of it applies to us today. He talks about these three different ailments which beset us, from which we need to be rescued. First of all, the prophet laments that we have wandered from God's ways. That's the first kind of ailment that some people are afflicted by and some people need saving from. We have wandered from God's ways. Because very often, when people leave the faith, they don't do so because of a single particular traumatic moment. It's not as if there's like this, yes, I believe, no, I don't believe, black and white. 
there tends to be this fading, this wandering, this drifting gradually away. A mass gets skipped here and there, my prayer life begins to pitter off, confession gets procrastinated, the tithing, I got more important stuff to spend my money on, so on and so forth, and then eventually there's nothing left. Like a ship in the middle of the night that begins to drift. The captain didn't just pull a 180, didn't turn the wheel 180 degrees around, but gradually throughout the course of the night it drifted the wrong direction. And so some people are in this situation. Lost sheep that need the shepherd to go after them and bring them back to the flock. Second, Isaiah laments that all of us have become become like an unclean people. And remember for the Jews, they were the clean ones, they were the pure ones, and then all the Gentiles were the unclean, were defiled. And so Isaiah here is saying, We've become like everybody else. There's no difference between we, the chosen people, and the Gentiles anymore. And that, we can see that nowadays as well, because very often Catholics are indistinguishable from everybody else in the world. Catholics divorce, fornicate, fail to forgive, support abortion, contracept, vote, and are indifferent to the plight of the poor in the same way as non-believers. We are not joyful, we are not serene, as we should be on account of the good news of the gospel. We need a savior to break us free from our mediocrity. Third, Isaiah seems to despair that, saying that our deeds are like polluted rags. Now, it's true that everything that we do, it could use improvement. It's not as if anybody ever performs a perfect act in its entirety, and it's you know, something that God himself would you know, give them an applause for. There's always room for improvement. But this is a phrase. Our deeds are like polluted rag. It's the moan of a depressed person. You know, the modern equivalent of Isaiah's expression is something like, why bother? What's the point? I'm worthless. Life has no meaning. You know, these are expressions which we hear very often nowadays, unfortunately, and from which we need saving. The very fact that a Savior is coming for us should remind us of our own worth, that our deeds are not polluted rags. I am not worthless. God sees fit to save me from my sins. He has not given up on me. Much less so can I give up on myself. Contrition is of God, but despair and self-hatred are always of the devil. And so we need to be saved from those two. And so once we recognize our need for a Savior, then we can say, like Isaiah in the first reading, return for the sake of your servants, speaking to the Lord, return for the sake of your servants, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's what we are expecting to happen on Christmas. The rending open of the heavens and the coming of the Savior. But until that happens, we need to follow our Lord's advice from the Gospel. To watch. And to watch how? To watch like doorkeepers, he says in today's Gospel. Now, most private homes, even of the rich and the wealthy, don't have doorkeepers anymore. But there are still some nice hotels in downtown metropolitan areas that do have the position of a doorkeeper. 
And they usually will carry out two basic functions that we can learn from. The doorkeeper is somebody, first of all, who's going to welcome people into the hotel. He's on the lookout. He's watching. He's waiting. And as soon as some, a guest shows up, he is out to meet them. He is helping them with their luggage. He is opening the door. He is leading them into the, the hotel. But the other thing the doorkeeper does, letting people in, but he also keeps people out. He prevents those who shouldn't enter, you know, solicitors or troublemakers, from doing so. And Jesus is telling us to do both of those. To both welcome certain people into our souls, into our lives, and also to keep certain people and things out of our lives. So first of all, we need to welcome Jesus whenever he comes. Whether this be in scripture, in the Eucharist, in prayer, in the sick, in the poor, in that person sitting six feet away from me in the pew, all of these need to be welcomed because all of them are Christ's. All of them are instances of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, trying to come into our souls because our souls are supposed to be temples of the Holy Spirit and God wants in. And the door handle is only on the inside. So we have to open for him. The second thing we have to do is keep out those who want to do harm or damage. So first of all, that means the devil. It also means sin. It also means circumstances that can lead us to sin. All of these have to be kept out as a preparation for Easter, as a preparation for Christmas. For Easter as well, but we'll talk about that in Lent. There are a large number of people nowadays who consider dabbling in the occult to be of little importance. And so very often high schoolers will play with Ouija boards, go to palm readers, consult mediums. All of these are ways of opening our souls to the evil one. And if it's something that perhaps happened in your past and you never confessed, it would definitely be something good to do. But regardless of whether or not that particular evil was allowed in, we need to keep out everything that can lead us to sin. But what happens, and this is the final point, if there's already somebody in the hotel that shouldn't be there. We need to purge. We need to pull out the whip like Jesus did in the temple and chase out the money changers. We need to make sure that anything that is already in the soul gets cleaned out. That happens, first of all, through the examination of conscience and making a good confession. That's definitely something that everybody should be doing during the Advent season. So in many ways, we Christians, we are reliving the experience, experience of the Jewish people during the season of Advent. They had to wait a millennia for the coming of the Messiah. We're waiting a couple weeks for his coming at Christmas. But we do have a consolation that was not shared by those under the Old Covenant. Our waiting is alleviated. Because like St. Paul told us in today's second reading, all knowledge, all discourse, and every spiritual gift has been given to us through Jesus Christ. And the greatest gift that has been given is the Eucharist. In the Eucharist, the Lord answers Isaiah's prayer, and the heavens are rendered open, and he comes. Why is the Holy Spirit right above the altar? Because it is through the Holy Spirit that Christ becomes incarnate again in the Eucharistic bread. He is on our altars. For us, members of the new Israel, 
we do not have to wait millennia like the Jews of old. He has already come, he will come, and he is coming. And so we turn to Mary, who had nine months of Jesus growing within her as she prepared for the first Christmas. And we pray that she might help us to foster the life of Christ in our souls so that Christ might be fully formed in us when the celebration of his birth comes around. 